Hello, Rob Shank here, and this is Shank Talks Bunhofer. And somehow we always get around to this extraordinary human being who left us such a great legacy of thought and insights. And recently I took him to Charleston, South Carolina. And that may stick in your mind because most of us remember the time when nine individuals were murdered in a fellowship hall at Mother Emanuel Church. Wonderful community of Christians in Charleston, historic African-American congregation, and an individual uh, bent on inflicting as much pain and suffering as he could in a few moments' time took the lives of uh, a whole range of beautiful folks, men, women, young, very old, and the pastor of that church. And I visited there recently with a group of folks who coalesced around that terrible event and were determined to turn it into positive action. And they have advocated for a number of community building exercises, but most especially sensible gun regulation. And I see the question of gun safety and the embrace of what I call popular gun culture in America as a gateway to exploring many moral and ethical questions, and particularly when it comes to the formation of Christians. And that's what I spoke to this room full of folks about at uh, the uh, Lutheran Church that hosted us there. Uh, And these folks represented a whole cross-section of the community, of uh, religious congregations, uh, of religions, in fact, uh, mostly Christian and a very broad spectrum of uh, fellow Christians from what I would call fundamentalist-leaning, very conservative traditionalists to very progressive and liberal groups. We were all together on the same page that gun violence must be Uh, greatly reduced, if not eliminated, in our society. And I brought Dietrich Bonhoeffer into that conversation, and I'd like to share that with you in this episode, and then there'll be a second, uh, because, uh, boy, I haven't spoken for 41 minutes in a long time, but I did down there. (laughs) So we're breaking it into two uh, more manageable uh, 20-minute segments, so this is the first. So I welcome you to... Charleston and the group Arm in Arm hosting me there uh, for a conversation that I hope you'll join in by commenting on this page. So here we go. Let's travel together to Charleston. Well, maybe you came today because you were invited by a friend or colleague maybe you came today because you heard of this guy who had written a book named rob shank and he was connected to something in washington but you probably came because of your love and interest in dietrich bonhoeffer am i right i always get that advantage 
uh, carrying his moniker around with me. And I like to introduce uh, Dietrich as my best dead friend, and indeed he is, uh, has had an impact on my spiritual life since its very inception. And maybe I should tell you a, a little bit about that. Uh, I'm sure all of us have uh, a Bunhofer story of some sort or another. Uh, mine began shortly after my conversion. I was raised in a largely non-religious, uh, reformed Jewish home. My father uh, was born Jewish. My mother converted to Judaism to marry my father to make peace in the family. Uh, but we were not a, a particularly religious family. Uh, and so uh, about the time I would have normally pursued bar mitzvah, my father announced that uh, my identical twin brother uh, and I and, uh, and my two older sisters would uh, be free to explore religion in any way uh, we, we chose. And so we all went on an exploratory mission. I bumped into the son of a Methodist minister who invited me to his church. And uh, it was kind of a scary experience for uh, a young non-religious Jewish kid uh, when I walked into the doors of little Emmanuel United Methodist Church country church literally sat out in the middle of a uh, cornfield, quintessential white clapboard building with the spire. And at that point, I had never been in a church, uh, so I wasn't sure what to expect. I snuck in the back, sat in the back row, way in the back, what I call sinner's row, <laughs> where you can get out, you know, in case anything happens you didn't expect. And, and I was frankly afraid. I wasn't sure being a, a, a Jewish kid uh, in, you know, a Methodist church, didn't know what was going to happen next and worried uh, that the ushers would come and discover I was not a Christian and catapult me out the back door. And so I kind of braced myself. And instead, I was met with great warmth and welcome and love. And uh, that encouraged me to return. And I did. Now, this is where I'm going to start sounding a little evangelical on you, uh, if you'll permit me. But uh, I came back for a, um, a Lenten series led by a British evangelist, and I heard the claims of the gospel, and I heard them as very consistent with the ethic I had been raised with in my home especially about love of neighbor, and it captured my attention. He was preaching from the Sermon on the Mount, and it led me to a moment of crisis. And as a uh, teenager, I responded to the challenge to uh, walk forward and make a pledge of my life to Jesus Christ. To me, that was a very wonderful experience, uh, but my parents were not humored by it. And it caused a bit of a crisis in our home, but we worked through that, and eventually my parents would become very supportive of uh, my spiritual journey. 
which eventually led me uh, to Christian ministry. And uh, I am an evangelical. I will tell you right out, I am a recovering member of the conservative Christian right. Uh, in my early experience, I came under the tutelage of people like Pat Robertson, Jerry Falwell, and others, and I spent a lot of time there. And uh, it led to a second conversion in my life. My first was conversion to Christianity, to Christian faith. My second conversion was to what I now call Ronald Reagan Republican religion. It's distinctly different. And I would spend 30 years of my life as a political activist in that realm. And then something fortuitous happened. Late in life, at age 50, I finally went back to do my doctoral work. And uh, I had always dreamed of studying Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So I decided to tackle him in his thoughts on uh, the encounter between church and state. And as I got into the process of that, my principal advisor, Dr. Peter Frick, if you are a Bonhoeffer scholar, you know Peter Frick. He's one of the outstanding Bonhoeffer scholars in the world. And Peter said to me, do you plan to master mid 20th century German? And I said, nine. <laughs> And he said, then you're not going to do Bonhoeffer. You're going to do something around Bonhoeffer. And I did. I took a look at the German church struggle of the 1930s. And it was like a revelation to me, an aperçue that opened my eyes to a phenomenon that was occurring not only in front of me, but that I was a part of. The utter political co-optation of religion and particularly evangelical Christianity in our country. And that would lead me to undertake a study tour of Bonhoeffer's life through Europe, which became for me a spiritual pilgrimage and led to another conversion. And it took place quite dramatically in the very yard where Bonhoeffer was hanged in April of 1945. And as I stood there, it was as if the scales uh, were shed from my eyes and I saw something I had not seen in more than three decades of work. That I had been part of the spiritual corruption of the gospel. And it was a painful, realization. About, I, I will tell you, of course, it led to a wonderful uh, spiritual rebirth in my own heart and mind, but it was just about that same time that a filmmaker came to see me. And I don't mind admitting to you, as I sat talking with her over dinner one night, her name went right over my head. We were talking films, and her name was Disney. Duh! Didn't even occur to me. Yes, in fact, it turned out that uh, she is part of the Disney entertainment empire, 
the granddaughter of Roy, who built the company we know today as the Disney Corporation, uh, and the grandniece to Walt, the creative genius of that enterprise. And she was proposing that I do something I had very little taste for doing at that point, and that was examining the embrace of popular gun culture by my community, American evangelicals, who at that time were the most likely religious uh, population in America to embrace unfettered gun rights. And she asked me a very pointed question. How is it that your community can be so pro-life and at the same time so pro-gun? Do you think that's worthy of attention? It took me a long time to say yes, but I did. And it was very high risk for me in my community. But I took it on. And that would become one of the most intense and disturbing experiences of my ministry career. Well, if you want to know how it turned out, you have to read the book. <laughs> Shameless promotion. Or if you'd rather see the movie, you can find it on any of the film platforms uh, from Amazon Prime to iMovies to Netflix. It's called The Armor of Light. Ring a bell? The Armor of Light. When Abby called me excited to say we've chosen a title, how about The Armor of Light? And I said, well, I don't know if that'll connect with audiences. She said, it's from the Bible. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for reminding me. Uh, but it was quite the adventure and would introduce me to this topic, that somehow we're going to bring Bunhofer together with the gun question here over the next just couple of minutes. So we don't have much time. But I think just enough time for you to see a connection. First, let me tell you just how important this question is for me as an evangelical. You may know, and I hope some of you when you saw me bring this nice, beautiful black leather volume up here, you didn't take a deep breath and say, uh-oh, <laughs> he's going to do some preaching, which when you have an evangelical at the pulpit, I realize is a, a real risk that you may be here longer than you want to be. I assure you I won't be doing any preaching from the sacred text uh, today because actually... Although this looks very much like the Bibles we commonly have at hand, any evangelical preacher, when he or she takes to the pulpit, will generally have a nice, big, black, leather Bible in his or her hand. And sometimes it has the nice, handy wrist, you know, uh, the wristband so that it never has to be far away, and a nice zippered enclosure to keep those gold 
you know, what do you call them? Uh, there's a term for that. Leaf, leaf gold leaf edging, uh, you know, nice and clean. And it can keep all of your, uh, you know, notes inside and so forth. And, you know, just when you need to consult uh, the sacred text, why well, you just unzip it and open it to the passage you're looking for. The only problem is in this Bible, which has become one of the most popular uh, among evangelicals these days, doesn't have any pages of scripture in it at all. In fact, all it has inside is this. Now, this is a plastic facsimile, so you can now exhale. Uh, it's, a, it's a little plastic BB gun. But the makers of this Bible, uh, Garrison Grip, brag that it's their most popular holster, concealed carry holster, and it will accommodate a 6 hour 226 or a Glock 9mm, and in case you don't have enough ammo, they give you ample space for an additional magazine inside. Now let me tell you that one of the most uh, important reactions uh, to this that I had was when I addressed the uh, National Association of Religion Reporters in Columbus, Ohio, and a young woman of color stood up and she said, excuse me, I'd like to point out that the only reason you could open that volume and withdraw that item without alarming the two armed security guards in the back is because you are white and you are male. Had you attempted that and been of a different hue, you, my friend, would be in big trouble. And she was right. And all I could do was sit with that for a couple of minutes of silence before continuing. But folks, this illustrates the crisis that my community is in. And the reason the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute has taken this on as a question is because it is, among so many other things, a theological, moral, and ethical crisis of the grandest order. Now, just so that some here, you know, don't jump to unnecessary conclusions, uh, let me further shock you by announcing that I am a life member of the NRA. In fact, I am a Ring of Freedom co-chair of the NRA. I am not anti-gun. But I do believe that whenever someone takes a weapon to himself or herself, they implicate supreme ethical questions. And if you know Bonhoeffer at all, well, let me not assume that. Many uh, know Dietrich Bonhoeffer because of his courageous stand against Adolf Hitler and Nazism, which would cost him his life. 
and we think of him as a martyr. What I like to say to people is, if all you know about Dietrich Bonhoeffer is his martyrdom, then you really only know 15% of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In fact, in many ways, Bonhoeffer was a surprise martyr. One of the great privileges I had when I did my study tour of Bonhoeffer's life and work uh, was meeting at that time, he has since passed, the last living person to have spoken to Bonhoeffer before the execution. Hans von Hammerstein was in his 90s. He had been a 17-year-old boy and a catechumen under Martin Niemöller, another very courageous pastor in Berlin when he was arrested, sent to uh, Buchenwald, and there met Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Hans had his full mental faculties when I spoke to him, and I asked him if he remembered the conversation, and he said, exactly, precisely I remember it. And I said, was Bonhoeffer, this was about 14 hours before the hanging at Flossenburg, and I said, was Bonhoeffer aware that he would die within hours? And he said, oh my, no. In fact, he spoke only optimistically about rebuilding the church in Germany after the war. He was looking forward to the defeat of his country so that he could get about the work of rebuilding the integrity of the church in Germany. Bonhoeffer's martyrdom was a surprise to him. And so, you know, when we think about uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, there is so much more there than, for example, uh, discipleship, or the cost of discipleship, as it may have been entitled when you read it. I read it very shortly after my initial Christian conversion, and it helped to shape some of my concept of what it meant to be a follower of Christ, but I soon forgot it. And then it would fade into distant memory during my politically uh, active years. But it came roaring back to me in that moment in Flossenburg, and along with it, what you learn from life together, and some of the other more popular works, but I had never read Ethics. If you want to know Dietrich Bonhoeffer at his core, you must suffer through <laughs> ethics.